Come on. Hello, dear listener. Before we get into today's show, quick ask. If you find value in today's show or you've gotten value out of a previous show, please leave us a quick five-star review. Be super grateful. Thanks a lot. Julie, are you ready? I'm ready. Well, I'm ready. The people are ready. Let's go. Welcome to Money Savage Engage. This is George Grumbacher. Julie Wald is the founder and chief wellness officer at Namaste New York. She's the author of the best-selling book, Inner Wealth, How Wellness Heals, Nurtures, and Optimizes Ultra-Successful People. I'm excited to have you on. Julie, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Yes. Thank you, George. I'm excited to be here. So I am... First and foremost, a mom of three tweens and teens. <laughs> I, I'm a clinical social worker and started my career off as a therapist and worked in that space for about a decade and really started my business, which we've now evolved our name to be Namaste Wellness because we are serving really a, it's a very recent thing, um, you know, a global population. We started our business just after 9-11, back in 2003. And ever since then, it's been a labor of love. I started my business with my partner, my husband, and we have been really working with world-class organizations, as well as leaders and individuals and families for many, many years and helping them optimize their mental health and physical health and well-being. Awesome, nice. So. How, how has everything been in 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 COVID for you? I, I I believe you live in in the city and with with the three kids and the dog and the husband working together. How is how has all that been? Yes, well we um, we were able while our our headquarters is in um, New York City, we were able to escape to the suburbs out in Connecticut, and so that's where we we live full time. Um, so we've been running our business from Connecticut through COVID and really juggling parenting a 15-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a 10-year-old with running a business that is, on the one hand, um, had a lot of vulnerability when COVID began um, in terms of the fact that we did a lot of face-to-face work as well as a lot of virtual work. And then really with sort of an enormous tidal wave of need for what we do um, quite simultaneously. So it was just a very, it's been a very, very intense and interesting time, obviously on a personal level, juggling everything that we are um, juggling as a family and also just as a business, sort of figuring out how to navigate this very, very, very interesting terrain. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fascinating for sure. Just all of us have had to pivot in, in, in some capacity or make changes. Um, and I, I think it, it's so true that this there's got to be this enormous need, or rather, there certainly is. And how do you, how do we help people to address the need for all the things that you're doing? So, if you would talk a little bit about the challenges that you're really working to help address, and 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 how it is you do that. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Namaste is working with both um, companies, organizations, as well as individuals. We have been doing doing this since you know since we began really in terms of these two different markets and 
What has been so apparent on the heels of this pandemic is that we are really facing a massive mental health crisis mm -hmm. in our in our world. And you know, there from from kids to to our elders, you know, and everyone in between are struggling with stress, with a lack of work-life balance, with burnout, with obviously major financial stressors for so many people, and um, not to mention the fear of getting sick or worrying about friends and family. I think, you know, there's really sort of three categories of people, and this goes for sort of the employees and the organizations that we work with, as well as our kind of consumer base, which is that there are those who, um, maybe we're struggling a little bit prior to the pandemic. They say about 15 to 20% of people probably would identify as struggling with some level of mental health pre-pandemic. And then if you um, kind of move into the pandemic, that number has been rising and rising, rising and rising and rising. Although the, the next wave of people aren't people with sort of pre-existing mental health, issues. They're people that with the intense level of stressors that we've been dealing with have been tipped into a place where they're really not existing in their window of tolerance, where they're handling and managing stress in an effective way, which is what most people do all the time. Stress in and of itself isn't bad. And if you're a healthy, strong person, you're able to withstand a certain amount of stress. And in fact, it helps you grow and evolve. So what's happened to the second population is that they are um, really the stressors have tipped them over the edge where they are not functioning, op functioning optimally in any way, shape or form. And that is probably, um, you know, brings the number up to, um, I think it's about 50, 40 or 50% of people would kind of be in, wow. in that category. Yeah. So there, there's really, um, if we break it down and then there's people who are thriving and who are doing fine and and that's amazing and and but even those people are kind of constantly needing to work hard to maintain that level of functioning right now you know for the most part of course not everybody and so you know there's really these three categories of people that are are doing fine you know working hard to thrive they're the people that used to be doing fine but are not doing so fine anymore and then there are the people that really were struggling at their baseline and now they're put into a really almost a dangerous place. And so what we are doing is we are helping organizations as well as individuals address this issue. On an organizational level, we deliver a variety of different programming options to support mental health and wellness. So we do masterclasses, workshops, and salons, which are smaller talk communication um, sharing groups, topic, <clears throat> topically based. We're also doing a lot of experiential work. So we're going in and we're teaching people about how to take care of their mind and their body, all evidence-based. Everything we do is research-driven in terms of understanding the power of mindfulness, the power of movement, the impact that food might have on their mood. And just beginning to build that level of awareness can actually make a pretty big difference. Then when you bring the experiential piece into it, when people are actually learning how to meditate, they're being supported in their movement, that takes things 
to the next level. And of course, hopefully and on an organizational level, connecting with their community and their colleagues um, through these activities. And then the third element is really our coaching. And so we do a lot of one-on-one work. We certainly obviously do this with individuals, but a lot of organizations are bringing us in because they know that for that, particularly that population of people, you know, that are really not functioning well, they are, they need to invest in supporting them because people are losing massive amounts. I think it's like 10% of productivity is being lost around these types of issues. Obviously, healthcare costs will skyrocket as a result. So it's really worth it to an organization to make that investment. So if people are needing nutritional support or wellness coaching, one-on-one, people's needs are very different and nuanced right now. So organizations are giving their um, their teams that, that type of support. So it's really education, practice, right? The practicing of the different um, self-care techniques and then one-on-one coaching. And if you're anybody, if you're a musician, if you're an athlete, um, at almost anything that we do, we need to learn, practice, and coach. Those are sort of the elements of, of getting better at anything. And so when we're talking about getting better at self-care through evidence-based practices that really science has shown us will make a big difference in our mental health, implementing those three um, types of interventions is, is really, really effective, especially on the corporate level. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, so... And that last part really summed it up for me, the idea of providing education, the actual practice, and then one-on-one coaching for the people that, 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 that really do need the help. Because um, what I wanted to ask was, what is that really perfect scenario if you could say, okay, every organization is going to be different, but if we could deliver this kind of a structure with for, for, for a population with diverse needs and, and people and backgrounds and everything else, this is what it would kind of look like. So... I'm fascinated by this idea of, 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 of salons. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the major issues for people right now is that um, they're feeling very isolated and disconnected. And so the educational piece is, is, is very important, but we also want to create opportunity for connection and a really safe space for sharing. And as we know, you know, so many of the boundaries between work and home have shifted and people are more open than ever to showing up very authentically with their colleagues, particularly on an organizational level, if that's encouraged and supported. And so in organizations that are um, really wanting to give their employees both that educational component and the opportunity for mutual connection and sharing, we do these topical salons where not only do we come to the table with information around, for example, maybe it is a for all intents and purposes, um, a a salon to discuss child and teen mental health. So we've done a number of these because there's a lot of parents um, who are working at organizations that are very concerned about their kids' mental health through this pandemic. And so giving them a safe space to connect with their colleagues and compare notes and talk about what has been successful for them, what has been difficult to to have a facilitator who all of our facilitators are um, clinical social workers. They basically have my background. They're also wellness experts. So forgot to mention this at the beginning, but I'm a meditation teacher and a yoga teacher and, and, um, and all of that 
kind of plays into the way that we facilitate these groups. So, you know, we can give guidance, we support kind of safe and authentic communication between colleagues. And I think people walk away not only with some really powerful tips and tools that they can implement, but just the experience of feeling connected and supported by by their community. Yeah, and that's from my from my perspective, it's that community piece which is so integral to having a rich and happy life and to making substantive change that needs to be made. Um, if we're just out there on an island, it's hard for us, I think, to do the hard work of all the things we've been talking about. But if we're able to in, to, to 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 bring the community together, I've I, that's from from my experience where you're able to have a, a, a greater impact. And that's one of the things I've always liked about working with organizations is that there's already that, theoretically speaking, that built-in community. So if you can bring in great information and then help them to to, to bring their team together or, or their people together, I think that there's such a big opportunity. So from there, um, I, I, I guess I didn't give you an opportunity to, to sort of give me that a, a perfect scenario or, or some real success stories for what organizations have done. Yeah, absolutely. So all of our, our programs are really built on what we call the four pillars of wellness, which is um, the basis the basis for our, our entire model. And those four pillars are movement, stillness, connection and nourishment. So when we think about those those four pillars, it's really those are the ingredients that human beings need to thrive. If you've been a parent, you know that those are the ingredients that a newborn baby needs to thrive. If they have those four things, chances are, you know, they'll be they'll be okay. Um, that doesn't change throughout the life cycle. We still need those four pillars, but what happens is people forget and they forget how important stillness is and that it's the other half of all the doing. Or, you know, maybe they're nourishing themselves with healthy food, but they're they they don't necessarily understand that we need to nourish our mind and our spirit and nourishing themselves with music and literature or whatever it is that the gardening, it, it almost doesn't matter as long as it's it's authentic. So first and foremost, we we work within that framework and we create programming around that. So you might have an organization that has a monthly um, masterclass. That's a very common sort of incrementation that every month, you know, maybe it's the first Wednesday of the month, the Wellness Wednesday, they'll have a kickoff masterclass um, for that month. That might be based on communication. It might be learning more about mindfulness. It might be integrative stress management is a very popular one of ours or building healthy habits as you work from home and beyond. These are sort of top topics that are very popular. So we have um, that monthly masterclass. And then throughout the course of the weeks, we have the practice or experiential classes. So we have employees engaging in 30 minute guided mindfulness sessions or desk yoga sessions or <clears throat> fitness sessions. And those can happen as frequently as, as every day, multiple times a day. So we have, we work with a lot of global organizations that might have you know, as many as 25 classes a week because they want to create options for everybody based on their schedule. Or you might have an organization that says, you know what, we're just going to do a monthly masterclass and a weekly, you know, mindfulness session. And that feels, that feels right. So, so the, 
The cool thing is, is that depending on the size of the organization and the size of their budget for wellness, we can um, expand and contract, but still keep the integrity of the model and the approach in place. So maybe you have um, a schedule of different movement and stillness classes throughout the week. And then you also each week are getting written content. So this goes to all of our clients, regardless of how many classes you have. Um, but anybody who's active is getting evidence-based, research-driven weekly tips, just simple nuggets that people can take in. Because what we know is that employees um, and people really learn differently. Some of us learn by doing, some of us are, are very academic and wanna study and wanna understand all the research. We're all gonna, some of us like to read, others like video, others like audio. And so we try to keep that in mind because it's actually really, really important variable in creating successful programming. Um, so, and then lastly, once you have the monthly masterclass, you have your set of weekly sessions then we do um, the one-on-one -on -one coaching piece comes in when companies want to make sure that employees have that individualized support. So it can really look one of two ways. We either do an activation. For example, an organization might decide in Q1 they want to provide nutritional coaching around um, some of the issues that are coming up for people with the pandemic and they want to offer people one-on-one -on -one sessions, you know, in Q1. So they'll buy a bulk package of these one-on-one -on -one nutrition coaching sessions, employees sign up and they get really amazing support from a registered dietitian around whatever it is that they're st struggling with. If it's about how to make quick and easy, healthy lunches for their kids or, you know, lose weight or manage stress with food that's where they're gonna be able to get that individualized support. Or alternatively, sometimes organizations will buy a bank of sessions. Um, and these are available to employees really more kind of throughout the course of the year on an as needed basis. And both are just really, really powerful ways to make sure that you don't have um, on an organizational level sort of a leak that you're not aware of, that there's an employee that's actually, you know, really needs some support and they're losing productivity and they're really stressed as a result. And all of the classes and experiential workshops are not going to do it for them. They need one-on-one, -on -one. you know, this can be a very, very powerful um, intervention and also return on investment for a company. Yeah. I appreciate that very much. I think that as much as you can take a really integrated approach, which is what you're talking about. That's, and I'm sure that that's, that's what your experience has, has taught you and that this is really a, an ineffective structure at, at helping to reach the people that, that, that really need help. So how do you help organizations to, to really evaluate if for lack of a better term, it's, it's working? Yeah. Well, uh, really the, the biggest measure that we, um, that we look at is engagement. So we, you know, we see how engaged employees are, we see how how people are, you know, are they engaging in the content that we're sending out? Are they attending the classes? And 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 we're really able to not only kind of use that as a metric, but get continual feedback. So we do polling at the end of our master classes with the company's permission to gather information about how helpful people are finding our content and support. We also support organizations in 
doing some surveying of the employee population anonymously so we can get a sense as to how um, the overall well-being scale is 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 going with our um, with our programming. So it's a variety of both quantitative and qualitative information that we gather throughout the course of a program. We do very consistent reporting. So an organization is able to say, okay, you know, utilization is where we want it to be or it is not where we want it to be. And we have a lot of um, tips and support that we can provide organizations because this is not our first rodeo. We've been doing this since literally since 2003 or even before. I think we officially incorporated in 2003, but um, so we've learned a lot through the years and have had the opportunity to work with some pretty unbelievable leaders and organizations who we've also learned a ton from in terms of how to do how to do things really well. I love it. Well, Julie, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? So one of my favorite tips is around starting small. So, you know, oftentimes we think that the idea of starting a new habit is really, really, um, can be overwhelming. Behavior change is hard. And oftentimes people bite off way more than they can chew. And so we always like to tell people to really go as small as you possibly can with whatever behavior it is that you want to incorporate into your life. So for example, if you need more stillness in your life and you're considering a mindfulness practice, start with taking a deep breath. Um, you know, Meditating for 20 minutes is amazing, but if you can't start with taking a deep breath, right. then you'll never get there. And taking <laughs> a deep breath is is actually incredibly powerful. And if that's all you do, then you've had a mindful moment. And that's that's incredibly um impactful. So, you know, the same thing goes for fitness. If you're having trouble getting on the wagon, we always tell people start with one push-up. Just do one push-up, either, you know when you get out of bed, before you get in the shower, because it's oftentimes, it's just the getting started that is the hardest. Sometimes once you just do one, it, it's easier to move on. And not to mention the fact that if you only do one, it's better than doing nothing. And you have this moment of self-efficacy of, I did it, I did what I said I was gonna do, and that feels really good. So my, my big takeaway tip is start really, really, really small, like way smaller than you think you should. And whatever it is that you want to do, behavior change that you want to incorporate into your life, do it consistently. Do it every single day. And if it's really, really small and you do it every single day, the likelihood that you will start to create a habit is exponentially higher. And that's really the key to all of this is, and that's really what all of our programs are based on, is how to support people in creating really healthy habits in their life that are going to enable them, as I mentioned at the beginning, to be resilient, to stay in that window of tolerance around stress and really thrive as a result. I think that that is great stuff that definitely gets, come on, come on. Julie, thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? How can people engage with Namaste Wellness? Yes, um, you can go to our website, namastewellness.com. You can find us on LinkedIn on so on Instagram and on Facebook at Namaste New York, and you can follow me personally at Julie Wald. Perfect. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Julie your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to NamasteWellness.com. Find them on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. I'll list all those in the notes of the show. Thanks again, Julie. Thanks so much. 
and Have a good day, George. you as well. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight as we are all in this together. <laughs>